everybody, and welcome back to Relevant Talk with Athelia Monet. Today, we have PhD and author of the upcoming book, Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, Andy Simon. How are you today, Andy? Well, I'm terrific, and how are you? I'm well. Thank you for joining us today. So, What a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. We're going to talk about smashing the myths of women in business, which I'm thrilled to talk about. So let's get into it. <laughs> How did you come up with that topic? I love it. Well, you know, the book came out in January this uh, this year, and uh, it had developed as we were working with women entrepreneurs. We have a program at Washington University called the Simon Initiative for Entrepreneurship, and mm-hmm. specifically designed to help women entrepreneurs. And as we were working with them, we realized they were looking for role models. So I started to write a book about women as role models. And then as it was developing, I was reading the stories to my husband. I had done over 50, 60 interviews, really interesting women. And he said, you know, they're smashing the myths of what women can do in business. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's a much better book. And we went back and rewrote the book around the myths that were smashing. Because what was profound about each one of their stories was that they all had hurdles to come over. And people would say to them over and over again, oh, women don't do that. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, Mm -hmm. you can't be a lady lawyer. And so the obstacles were as much in cultural perceptions of what women can do as what the talents of these women brought to it. So they were really pushing a myth. And I think they set up a whole, um, you can feel a ripple effect happening. Like a movement. We called it what we did. Pardon? Like a movement. It is a movement, and it's yes. exciting to watch it capitalize because it's contagious. Because it if is. you believe you can do it, you can do it. Yeah, and it's encouraging and it's inspiring um, to know that these women were told that they couldn't do this and they couldn't do this, and they show, yes, I can do this. <laughs> I'm just as qualified <laughs> as anybody else. I'm just as smart <laughs> and hardworking just as, as much as anybody else. Well, you know, one of the stories in there, Andy Harris is one of my favorites. Uh, she was told by a friend of her family when she was in elementary school that she should never think about being a lady lawyer. Lady lawyers are not very good lawyers. Mm. And so what did she do? She became a great lawyer. And Stephanie Breedloff was told by her family not to be an entrepreneur. And she grew her business to about $18 million and sold it to Care.com for $50 million. And each one of the stories was exactly the same. Oh, no, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. Watch me. Watch me. <laughs> and I guarantee you that those who told them that they couldn't do that and they saw for themselves that they that these women did exactly what they told them they couldn't do, I bet those people were encouraged by these women. And, and you know, when I say to you, it's a bit contagious. Um, Marion Wright Edelman, the founder of the Children's uh, Defense Fund, many years mm-hmm. ago said, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I truly believe that unless you can see what somebody can do, you can't see that you can do it. One of the first reviewers gave it a five review, but he was a guy. And he said, now I have a book I can give to my daughter who's a minority so that she doesn't see this stuff as light floating around, that she can really see what she can be. And I went, that's just who I wrote it for. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Little girls and women of all ages, it is inspiring and it's encouraging and um this book and these the stories of these different women um it builds up courage and confidence in other women and other girls and probably even some men 
It's quite as it's well, so let's, talk, let's talk about the men because many of the women said to me, now you have to remember to talk about the mentors who were men because there weren't any women to mentor me. And and I said that's very important because it, it isn't that you're doing it all by yourself. There are folks around you who see what you can do, and often they were the men. Evelyn Medvin, who's a geoscientist, said, well, there weren't any women to mentor me. So the guys you know, rolled up their sleeves and showed me the way. And so the guys begin to embrace it, and and they help to smash what women can do, and they begin to say women can lead. And the story of Jamie Candy in there is of a great woman leader. And and the, the men uh, who work with her talk about her. Well, I, I thought, you know, to be a leader, you need to have people follow you. You need to mm-hmm. feel like there's a vision you can articulate that people want to embrace. And mm-hmm. they say, oh, yes. Yeah, she knows where we're going and I'll follow her anywhere. And I go, ah, I love that. Isn't that mm-hmm. cool? Because she, she's sure of herself and she's proven herself that she can do it. And she can. And she also talks about we. There's a conversational intelligence that comes through. It's not about I. It's not command and control. It's about how can we do this? And that brings out the best in people. Yeah, that's true. That's true because then they feel like they are part of it, That's and we're right. we're 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 all in this together. That's right. Now you're a successful woman, and I have a hunch you have a community of others who embrace you, support you, and and add value to the way you're doing things. Am I right? You're correct. Um, I, I'm I'm looking forward to having more of those people around me. And even being that for other people. I agree. And in some ways, at the end of the book, I put together a how-to, you can rethink yourself. And uh, we've turned that into an online program, and we've just been launching it. And so we had 200 people sign up for the webinar today. And what I'm fascinated by, it's their first step to rethink who they are on their journey. Because many of my, I'm an executive coach as well as an anthropologist, and many of my clients are successful but stalled or stuck in their own personal growth they don't know where they're going and they don't know how to get there and they really want some inspiration and some help you know so the online program is designed (laughs) to help you rethink you know where you are and where you're going and and it's it's what we've done for many years helping them one-on-one the question is can you do it on your own with a self-paced and then if not can we add some coaching and support to help you. But I truly believe that women have done it by themselves and can do it. And now there's a time to sell, not just hope, but a way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a good thing. And that's what we need. That's why I was so excited to get into this conversation with you. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> let's share this with everybody because <laughs> there's so many women who would love to hear what, what you're sharing with us today. Well, and now how do I help them best? Um, I can tell you a little bit more about how this works or what they would find in the book. What's best for you? I'm sorry, say that again, Andy. How can I help you help them in the best way? Well, you're sharing the information with them today, and that's a a, a big thing. And and at the end of our um, conversation, at the end of our interview, um, I would love for you to share with them how they can contact you so that you can help them get to where they would like to go. <laughs> I'd be delighted. But it's an interesting journey, isn't it? It's, it's interesting, and it can be daunting sometimes. Um, 
And I, I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying when you said like some women, they get stalled. That was me before. And um, I was stalling myself because I was trying to do so much on my own. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I was trying to do a lot on my own and I was working on uh, multiple things at one time, which um, wasn't that productive. And sometimes focus is extremely important. I have mm-hmm. a hunch you've discovered. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I have, and, and what, no. yes? No, go ahead, Andy. Well, what I've learned is that the shotgun can often be um, exciting, particularly when people are coming to you with uh, ideas or with requests. Um, and whether you're in corporate or you're in your own business, it's uh, hard to say no. In fact, yes. I was coaching somebody recently, and she was having a hard time saying no thank you. And I said, you're going to have to make a list of those things that matter and those that are necessary and those are nice. And forget the nice. You know, it would be nice to do that, but I don't have all the hours in the day. And after a while, things become the wrong priorities. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's as bad. Uh, one of the themes that keeps coming out of some of my coaching is that women feel like they can't take care of themselves. Like it's inappropriate. Their job is to take care of others. And they feel um, lonely and left out of the whole growth thing because they can't focus on themselves. And I said, but why? And who's telling you you can't focus on yourself? And why do you think that's the case? And what we find is that it's this myth about how a woman should be, mm-hmm. always caring, always giving, and never focus on their self-care, their workouts, their exercises, finding mm-hmm. the business that they're interested in. What is wrong with that? And they begin to say, I don't know what's wrong with that. I don't even know who's telling me not to take care of myself. I said, so we got to break that. And the only yeah. one who can is you. <laughs> we, exactly. Um, I was one of them women. And um, I love helping people. And what I was doing um, was damaging to myself. And that is... Uh, putting everybody ahead of myself. I was on the, I was at the bottom of my own to-do list. And (laughs) um, yeah, and and I didn't see anything wrong with it at that time. But um, once that light bulb did go off in my head, like, wait a minute, I need to start taking care of myself. That's exactly what I started doing. And and when I did that and I started putting myself first, um, more than not, then I lost a lot of people in my life, but I was okay with that because I I felt better about myself because I was doing something for me. And I don't think being uh, doing something for you is quote unquote selfish. It's self care. It's self care. And if you can't care for you, that's right. And how will you care for somebody else? And so these are all those, those talking about the beginning of our conversation is smashing the myth. That's a myth that we must share for women to become the best that they can be without feeling guilty about a little focus on them. It's not mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, uh, well, personally speaking for myself, I did feel guilty even thinking about um, saying no to people or I can't do it this time or, you know, yes. just, just not doing it. It, it, it does make you feel guilty. And I did feel guilty and, and cause that's what I was used to doing it. And I didn't see it. Like I said, I didn't see anything wrong with it at that time, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't being good to myself when I was doing that. I, when I was putting everybody ahead of myself, I wasn't being good to myself, but I was being good to everyone else. It is funny though, because it becomes, 
<laughs> you feel like it's altruistic, but at the end of the day, it isn't a good way to live your life. And you right. don't do anything for good for them or for you. Right. Um, and I have a hunch what you're doing now for yourself is also multiplying to fan out to others like myself. This is such a wonderful time to talk about what we're doing. It gives mm-hmm. me pleasure and, and it gives you pleasure as well to share it. Yes, it does. And, and, and it builds you up and it just um, hearing the, the couple of stories that you shared earlier about these women who uh, didn't let somebody discourage them for going for what they wanted. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it because um, I shared a story in an interview recently, actually a couple of weeks ago, where um, I applied for, well, I, I I created this product out of a need and I was excited and I shared it with a couple of people. And one of um, the women, she told me that she didn't think that I should apply <laughs> because she didn't think I would uh, receive a patent for my product. And I asked her why. And she wasn't, um, she wasn't disrespectful when she told me she wasn't nasty or cold or any of that, but that's just how she felt. And when I asked her, why? Why do you think I won't receive a patent? And she didn't really have a, an answer. And she said she just didn't think I would receive a patent <laughs> for anything like that. And and so um, I didn't let that discourage me. It didn't make me work any harder. It didn't make me work any less. I just continued to focus on what I was doing. Um, I contacted yeah. a patent attorney. I contacted a designer. And so I continued on with what I was doing on that project. And um you know, three years later, I received my patent. So I, I shared that to <laughs> let everybody know, don't ever let anybody discourage you from uh, trying to reach some goal or some achievement that you would like to do. Um, yeah, don't well, you don't know, we've do all that. Had, yes, I know. I, I, I always remember when I was in high school, in my junior year, I had an English teacher. I don't, I remember her name, but I won't say it. And she read something I had written out to the class, and I thought, that's pretty cool, until she said, this is the worst piece of writing I've ever read. Uh And I sunk into my chair, and I I died, Uh but I vividly remember it. And so as I published my first book in 2016, I said, man, I wish you were around so I could show it to you now. (laughs) Right, let me get you a signed copy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, in some ways, I've spent a lot of time uh, overcoming that comment. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe that was good or bad, Um, but I I remember writing my doctoral dissertation and working really hard because I didn't think I could write, and I got it done. I got my doctorate, but each step along the way has had her in the back of my head, and so to your non-patent patent lady, um, you know, careful how we encourage people because we don't know what people can do, and we should be helping them do it as opposed to being critical of them not being able to. Um, Why? Why not? The number of women can't do that. No, they don't. It's not a woman's job is enough for me to cry sometimes because, you know, even through this pandemic, women have been the heroes. Mm -hmm. True. You know, people have said in the United States, we don't have a safety net. We have women. We have women Uh, who can do so much. And I thought that was a, a profound statement, right? We're the ones who take care of our parents. We take care of our kids. We take care of our partners or our spouses or our guys. And, and, and we take care of our homes and our jobs and, and teach the kids. And how many things can one person do? But mm-hmm. women rise to the occasion. So we do smash those myths. Right. We do. <laughs> <laughs> and it feels good because um, 
we are told that we can't do things personally as well as professionally. But then, like you said, there's this myth that women can't do certain things. And and we are underrepresented in so many different fields because of that myth. I know. Yes. I know. Women aren't good in science, technology, engineering, math. And yet the early computers were women. And the early coders were women. And women Mm -hmm. have been very strong in science in all kinds of ways. We just haven't been recognized. But they're geniuses. Right. And, and so it's, it's time for us to change the conversation in our culture where women not only can, but are encouraged to and supported as they do. And, and I do think, you know, whether it's getting more women on boards or listening to them when they're on the boards or getting more women into the P&L roles in businesses, uh, it's a time for us to take the talent we have and let women soar um, because we need it. And and I do think that it's a time for us to do it together with guys, but not at the expense of one or the other. It's a time right. for equity. And we can achieve so much more that way and learn from each oh, other. I yes, I agree. It's a multiplier. Right. Definitely. What, um, I had a question for you. I forgot because this conversation is so good. What do you think we can do to um, change an organization regarding women? Well, you know, I'll give you an, uh, a story and then I'll tell you about how to address something like this. I was, uh, I do a lot of workshops and I've been doing them remotely and um, mostly men CEOs in the workshop. And I was on a little early and the guys were talking about how difficult it was to create a diverse workforce for their company. And the comments went like this. I work really hard to hire them. And then they only spend three months with me and they don't want to stay. And, and as I listened, I said, so the problem for your diverse workforce is the person who you're hiring, not the community or the culture of your organization that you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't say anything. But as I was listening, I said, you need a hand because you've got the problem all wrong. It's not about that person who's coming in to diversify, it's the desire of your organization to have this diversity, cognitive diversity, gender diversity, racial diversity, all these new ideas. Companies who have them do far better than those who don't. And Mm -hmm. it's time for you to open up to how you do it, as opposed to blaming that person for it not happening. And and so the conversation has got to change and people have to become really positive about it, as opposed Mm -hmm. to resisting it. And, um, and, and in many cases, the brain is much happier with the familiar than it is with the new or the unknown. And so it's fighting this whole thing. So it's time for us to get past it and begin to see all the positives to it. And to some degree, that's what I do with much of my business coaching and consulting work. We help organizations change. And, um, and it's always amusing because they hire us and then put us in a closet, lock the key, and said, please don't come out. I hired you. That was enough. Do we really have to change? And I say, well, if you want to change, we have to go through and start a process of transformation because folks will do exactly what they've always done. And there's mm-hmm. not much we can do about it, is there? So no. um, it's, it's uh, and, and often I tell you, you need a crisis to accelerate those changes. I didn't expect a pandemic, but the nature of the pandemic has truly generated a tremendous transformation in both how we use technology, how we work, who works where how people get things done, uh, how we can trust in a different fashion. 
the values that we have. It's going to be an interesting time for the next year or two as we accept the stuff that's changed and not go back to the way it was because that wasn't necessarily so good. It really wasn't. And um, so many, yes, the pandemic was hard on um, all or at least most of us, but I've um, witnessed a lot of um, evolution since the pandemic. And it's, it's a good thing. Yes, I agree. And all kinds of ways that we might not have expected, mm-hmm. but, but in very, uh, very cool ways. Um, and, and I don't think we have really put our arms around how much or what we've actually achieved during this period. Um, but I, I have some clients who have been able to put into place changes they've been trying to do for two or three years that nobody would expect or accept. And all of a sudden, everybody said, sure. And uh, I have a client who had always given people the option of working at home. And now everybody who's working at home doesn't want to come back in. And he's not quite <laughs> sure how to address what went from a benefit to a necessity to I'm not coming back in. Why should I spend two hours a day commuting when I can get right. so much more of life? And so the rationales there, he just misses them all. And I, I, and I am amused because they don't miss him as much as he misses them. <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, these are different times, aren't they? It's different times. So you know what? They probably miss them, but they probably, in addition to commuting, they probably have more family time. Um, Yes. You know, but they're probably saving money on lunch. There are so many benefits to um, remote workers. And, you know, (laughs) I understand. It's it's men and women. I've interviewed some people. I had to give a keynote um, to a, an organization. They had 300 people coming together remotely. So I interviewed some of them ahead of time, and each of them had stopped flying on a plane every week. Um, and he said, once I said to me, I'm so happy to be with my family and my kids. I would never see them. And he said, and I'm getting all the work done anyhow, and we're doing uh-huh. extremely well financially as a company. So what am I missing here? And and so we were we were having some profound questions about the way work was. And what was really necessary for us to get the work done as we go forward. I'm not sure he's going to be able to stay home, but he's tasted the difference. Yes. Yeah, there is. And um, I'm sure the children like it, too, because um, <laughs> they probably get well, to see mom and dad more. Well, and I do think that there's, if there's value to a mom and dad, it's good if they're around, as opposed right. to imagining. And I do think kids, I know my daughter grew up with uh, two parents and we were around a great deal, and, and it was wonderful to share with them growing up. And mm-hmm. I do think that's what's going on today, where there's a, a sense of, of investment as well as of a commitment and, and pleasure. Right. It, it's, um, I, I think for some companies, it, it will probably remain... Like the changes that took place after the pandemic with certain companies as far as remote workers, for some companies, they might keep it that way. Yes. Who knows? We we are very elastic humans. And I do think the thing we have to become respectful for is how much plasticity we have. Um, You know, we can turn lemons into lemonade and no time at all. And so much of this is what we just simply value. It isn't what it is. It's what do we think about it? Is it good or bad? 
right? The same mm-hmm. thing could be good for one and bad for someone else. And it's, it could be identical. So it becomes a, an important time to reflect on what this all means. That's true. Andy, I wanted to ask you, why is change so challenging? Why do you think? Well, your mind uh, is designed to be um, stable and static. Uh, it wants certainty, autonomy. Um, it likes relationships. It likes to know what it's always done. The mind is very habit-driven. The brain uses 25% of the body's energy, and it doesn't want to learn new things because when you start to learn them, it takes a lot of energy. Just think about learning a new sport or a new job. You know, you got to think hard about it. But once you get into the habit, it's a piece of cake. And so your mind has five components to it. It has a story, and that's the one that's in there, and it likes that story. As long as you like that story, your mind will do exactly what it thinks you want it to do. So the habits take over and it's repetitive and comfortable for you, even if it isn't what you want to do. The third part is that the um, it goes to pleasure, not pain. Even if the pleasure turns comes from pain first, you really do love the pleasure part first. And so the familiar is very pleasurable. I know what it is, but I don't know the unknown. And the the brain's comfort with the familiar means that when it's something for unfamiliar or unknown, it flees it. And the amygdala hijacks new ideas. It creates cortisol that says, this is dangerous, stay away. But when you're doing something that's familiar, the oxytocin comes. So your whole chemistry is designed to keep you safe by keeping you comfortable in what you're familiar with. So... When the things break and you now have to rise to the occasion and change, and so many people discovered that staff who they thought would be resistant to this rose to the occasion, and others who they thought would be leaders in the pandemic hid in closets. I mean, it's been very interesting to listen to people talk about the heroes and the um, and the failures. Um, but but the brain hates change, and the other part is most places companies don't have a process for change. Um, I worked with one bank, and they brought in people from retail to show their bank managers how to be better consumer-oriented folks. The only problem was that it took about uh, three weeks for that new hire to become a banker and to forget everything they lost or they learned when they were in retail. They don't want to be outliers. They don't want to be different. They want to be part of the club. You know, birds of a feather flock together. And we're comfortable with others just like us. You know, we're, we bond through mimicking, and, and that's how we know how to be safe. So, so much of this helps our evolution until we have a crisis, and then we have to change, and then we don't know how. So, a lot of energy goes into figuring it out, and I get a lot of clients. And I'm sure they're pleased. Uh, you I'm know, sure. my clients hang around for three or four years, and sometimes they won't let me leave. Some clients don't, but uh, so many of them know what they don't know. And, and I end up bringing that, I'm a gap filler. I bring a fresh perspective and it works. And then they're not yet ready to try and solo it. So we become part of their team. And I enjoy the, I, I much more enjoy helping somebody sustain their transformation. Then mm-hmm. you can't, it's hard. It's hard to teach somebody how to play golf by giving them a club and a book and say, go hit the ball. You right. can't learn that way. And it's no different when you're teaching an organization to change. They need a whole new set of skills and, and a little hand to help them. Yeah. 
And I'm sure they benefit greatly from that change. Usually they do, and it sticks. And most of the time they know that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I one client, and he was losing customers, and we flipped around the whole organization, and it was difficult, but they started to grow again with large clients that they hadn't seen before. It was very interesting to watch the transformation. And it meant changing their story, changing how they thought about client needs. Um, wasn't about what we sell, it's what they need. It, was, it wasn't hard, and yet it was hard. That makes sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a Andy, nice conversation this is. It, it really is. I was just about to say that. You, you're like my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. <laughs> and yeah, then, we'll have to do this again and keep the conversation going. It's such a pleasure. I would love to. Yes. I would love to. I, um before the the um interview i was just so excited to talk to you about this and and you didn't disappoint <laughs> at all <laughs> you're very kind i'm glad we had the opportunity good thank you so ladies again the name of andy's book is rethink smashing the myths of women in business and andy where can your book be ordered uh, all over even walmart's carrying it which i was oh, okay. uh, really excited by Usually it doesn't carry quote-unquote business books, but it put it into a general category, and it's actually selling it at a bit of a discount. Uh, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local booksellers have picked it up, um, and it's selling extremely well. Reviews are terrific, and, and I'm, I'm really honored because you write hoping it will touch people's hearts uh-huh. and reading, reading the reviews and saying, oh, my. Yeah, you know, when someone says this is the book to read for the year, I go, oh, my. And, and it's it humbling. Is. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yes, but, and you know the feeling, right? Yes. Well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> so oh, I, know, will be there. I know what I want the feeling to be. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's a gift of story. Uh, and when we give it, we get pleasure and you get pleasure. So that gift yes. of giving a story to someone else, I do really think that when you begin to see it, you say, oh, that's how it's done. Good. I can do it, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Andy, how can we follow you? You know, um, two places. My uh, books and all my programs are at andysimon.com, A-N-D-I-Simon.com. And my business is simonassociates.net. Of course, there's LinkedIn, and um, and you can find me there at Andrea Simon. Um, people say you have too many names. They say, well, I'm Andy Simon, and I am Andrea Simon. Um, and um, my mother gave me both, and so I, I enjoy uh, both of them. But, but <laughs> I'm there, and... Uh, and and I'm uh, my my email that's best is info at andysimon.com. And I'm a very I, I try and respond quickly to those emails. Usually people are asking things that are matters to them and I try to be of help quickly. Good. Awesome. Well thanks again, Andy. I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm looking forward to our next conversation. What a pleasure. You are a great interviewer. Thank you so much. <laughs> and enjoy the rest of your evening and congratulations on everything. Thank you. And you as well. Stay well. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you.